Happy New Year, everyone. We're bringing you this bonus episode because, well, we're still working on the next episodes of season two of This is the Gospel. And we're getting some really great stories together that we know you're going to love. But in the meantime, while you're waiting for those stories, we wanted to share the newest LDS Living podcast that our little team has been working on and slaving over and laboring on for the past few months. Because we are genuinely excited about it, and we think it can help you in your personal study of Come, Follow Me and the Book of Mormon this year. You may remember that we mentioned the Sunday on Monday study group podcast during our Christmas episode when Tammy shared her story about the Rockefeller Christmas tree. Well, the podcast is live. It's up now and it's running every Monday. And we're inviting you to join us for this awesome mix of real stories, new scriptural insights and unique perspectives. So here's a sneak peek of this week's Sunday on Monday study group. All right. Were Layman and Lemuel really that bad? I mean, sure, they murmured. A lot. Okay, and so maybe they tried to kill their brother. But when all was said and done, is there any part of that story we can relate to? Because they kind of were obedient in the end. Well, stick around because we're going to talk about that and so much more. Welcome to the Sunday on Monday study group, a Deseret Bookshelf Plus original brought to you by LDS Living, where we take the Come Follow Me lesson for the week and really dig into the scriptures together. I'm your host, Tammy Uzalak Hall. So here's something fun. If you're really busy and you don't have time to sit and listen to an hour-long podcast, this podcast is broken up into six different segments, and each segment is about mm, around 10 minutes long. So you can listen while you drive, or you can glean while you clean, as we like to say. That's kind of a fun one. Whatever it is, we just want you to join us as we study the Come Follow Me lesson for the week. Now, every week we get to have different groups of friends to help us talk about the scriptures so we have new perspectives. So today, I'm so excited because I have two of my very dearest friends joining me. Jalyn Peterson, and Holly Rawlings. Holla! <laughs> <laughs> Dang it, she took my Sorry, line. Holly from the block. <laughs> I didn't know she was here. Hey, we, we have it rough up in Maine. Yeah, <laughs> I was going to say, for the record, we are not women that should be seen. Holla. No. Yeah. So I'm just going to say, though, for those of you listening, these two women I've known for a very long time, like over 20 years for sure. So I was, could not be more excited. So we're going to joke a lot, and it's going to be fun. Hopefully not too many inside stories, but when I was preparing for this lesson today, I knew I wanted these two women with me at the table because they have a lot of insight into the topic that we're going to talk about. So let's get our scriptures and let's dig in. You guys ready? Totally. Okay. Ready. This week, we're studying First Nephi chapters 1 through 7 in the Book of Mormon, and we are really going to explore our relationship with Heavenly Father, which is why I've invited you two to come because you have a lot of insight on this. I didn't invite you because it was about Laman and Lemuel, <laughs> although I could have. I can do a good lesson on murmuring for sure. I was really sad they didn't ask me to play Laman or Lemuel in the new Book of Mormon videos for the church. You'd be because, a shoo-in. Yeah, I'd be, it would have been a shoo-in. I, you're great at murmuring. Right. Throw on a fake beard and <laughs> murmur away. Murmur away. <laughs> All right. Do you guys remember doing scripture mastery when you were in seminary? Did you guys take seminary? <laughs> Two years. Hello? I mean, you're Sem- in Maine. Well— yeah. Two years. She that's, was, that's why I she only was read. that kid that only got like one star behind her name on the right. graduating yeah. program. I, I did two years, and that's probably why I didn't know a lot about the Book of Mormon when I went on my mission. Mm-hmm. I read half the Book of Mormon and Larry Bird's autobiography. <laughs> wow. <laughs> I mean, Larry Bird should have given you a good background. A hundred percent. I feel like a everybody. lot of the grit and determination of that Hoosier. Yeah, Who exactly. Else? I mean, that's all you need to get ready to go. So, right. you okay, two years, Jalyn. Seminary Student Council. Oh, wow. I did not realize what that up? was here. You're in the presence of a legend. Okay, so— I believe my face <laughs> is still on the wall of the Wasatch High School Seminary Building. I think you might be right. Yeah. <laughs> Their claim to fame, Jalen Peterson. I mean, we couldn't. Okay, now this is what's interesting. So we did Scripture Mastery growing up, and I— I'm back in the classroom as a substitute, and this was kind of cool to learn. They actually now are doing what's called doctrinal mastery. They do scripture mastery. We have to learn scriptures. But now they're teaching our students, our teenagers, our kids, doctrinal mastery. I love that. Well, here's what's cool, because I want us to talk about it. So the idea behind this is that there are nine basic doctrines that we believe as members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, and they are not the Articles of Faith. I was going to say, I thought there were, thought there were 13. So did I. Right. We cut it down. Mm-hmm. We're streamlining. We're, we're going to streamline. So these are the nine things, and you can find these in our show notes as well as the website on churchofjesuschrist.org so that you know where it comes from. And for me, when I learned these, I was like, oh, this is so powerful because these are nine things that can never change. Hmm. Like there's lots of things that are changing. But it was significant because, Holly, we had this conversation as we were getting ready for general conference. 
I was like, what do we really believe as members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints? And we looked this up because I was like, oh, there's nine basic doctrines. Yeah, I had no idea. And so they're listed right here. I'm just going to read. Well, Jalyn, why don't you read through the nine? Yeah. Uh, Number one, Godhead. Two, plan of salvation. Number three, atonement of Jesus Christ. Four, dispensation, apostasy, and restoration. Number five, prophets and revelation. Six, priesthood and priesthood keys. Seven, ordinances and covenants. Eight, marriage and family. Nine, commandments. Okay. I like how you guys said, I've never known this. And I think there's a lot of us that that resonates with. So now you know the nine things, and we're going to really dig into the scriptures. We're going to start out with the Book of Mormon, and we're going to focus on one of these. But knowing what these are, how do you think this will help us study the scriptures this year? Well, I really like how you mentioned that in seminary, that the students have to have a doctrinal mastery Mm -hmm. or that, you know, they're trying to achieve that. And that makes so much sense because it's really great to have scriptures memorized because it gives you kind of a framework Mm -hmm. and a schema. But to think about it through that new lens of these are the nine doctrinal focuses that will help us stay on the covenant path. Yeah. That that's powerful to me. Definitely. Well, I think it's just we're getting away from the checklist, like even the the missionary training mm-hmm. stuff is now like you need to be able to speak to these topics, not necessarily right. just regurgitate these exact scriptures. Yeah, definitely. Well, and these things were very helpful to me in the last general conference because there was a talk that was given that I just it didn't seem to sit well with me. And I remember thinking, ah, oh, I don't know if I really like that. And so I waited it out and then I read it and then I was still like, ah, and then I remembered this and I read the talk again and I looked for each one of these in it. And sure enough, true, true, true. So I might have not appreciated the delivery of the talk, but the basis of it was all true. Everything that that talk was about hit all nine doctrines. So the talk is true. And then it made me rethink it. Why didn't I like it? I do think it's fascinating that there's marriage and family on there because that's missing from the 13 Articles of Faith, mm-hmm. from what I remember. Yes, yes I about think those 13 Articles. Ms. Yeah, President. Like, I mean, but I think it's the whole, yeah. Yeah. you know, we spend a lot of time yeah. thinking about what it means to be a member of a family. and Right, right. Mm-hmm. This is a neat quote by Elder Packer and the purpose of understanding these doctrines. And this was before the doctrines we've reintroduced. Holly, read this quote by Elder Packer. True doctrine understood changes attitudes and behavior. The study of the doctrines of the gospel will improve behavior quicker than a study of behavior will improve behavior. Preoccupation with unworthy behavior can lead to unworthy behavior. That is why we stress so forcefully the study of the doctrines of the gospel. Great. Wow. Yeah. I've always loved that quote. I've never heard it. I feel like I need to read it. I am such like a self-help junkie. And then I always like come back to this, that line, and you're like, oh, study of the gospel. But I've never, I've never seen that last line of preoccupation with unworthy behavior can lead to unworthy behavior. Mm-hmm. That's amazing. So if you have a preoccupation with doctrine, yeah. then surely it can lead to good behaviors, right. good actions in your family, teaching your kids, here's what you need to know. And moments that come up in conversations, if you know the doctrines, you can say, we believe that. That's yeah. something in our family we believe. Well, and I think we do focus a lot on unworthy behavior. We are so quick to Mm -hmm. label stuff as like a war on drugs. And like we get so dramatic with some of the stuff like faith crisis. Yeah. Is it a crisis or is it just something we're kind of going through because that's part of life? Right. And a normal progression of our testimony is to ask questions. Right. And 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 to have doubts and to negotiate. Right. Instead of catastrophizing everything. And I think, I mean, that probably just in little ways, we can be a little preoccupied with unworthy behavior. In looking at this list of nine doctrines and thinking what's not here Mm -hmm. and how much time we spend talking about what's not there. Yeah. Oh, good point. Right. right? I know. I mean, very we, good point. you know, we, we're in the weeds. We real, yeah, we're in the weeds. Well, and so when we do get in the weeds, what's really cool about this list is that then you can go to it and say, okay, where does my question lie? What basic doctrine will support or help me to figure things out? And what I love about this list is that when we start studying First Nephi chapter one, the very first doctrine we get to learn about is number one, the Godhead, who Heavenly Father is and how he deals with his children. So we're going to look at that next.
So here's what I want you to do. Grab a piece of paper. And if you're listening to this, I want everyone to write down these words and then finish the statement. And I don't want you to give me church answers. I want you to give me your real life thoughts, beliefs, whatever, okay? You're not going to get in trouble if you say how you feel. (laughs) You're with me. You're a very, very best friend. Okay, here's the question. What do you believe about God? For everyone who's listening, we're going to give you a minute to think about that or write it. And then I want either both of you or one of you to share what you wrote or what you think about God. God is what to you? What do you believe about God? Finish that statement. To me, God is love. And that just, it sums it all up. Mm -hmm. Great answer. Mine's a little different. Great. But the first thing that came to mind is God is an executive. Mm -hmm. How so? Well, it's kind of the picture. I grew up as a Protestant, and so there wasn't a whole bunch of specific teachings about God Mm -hmm. other than God loves us, Mm -hmm. you know, the all-in-one theory. Right. The Trinity all being being one. And so when I was a little child, I would look up to the ceiling of the church, which was— kind of a quaint New England white church. And there was some metal grill work at the top of the ceiling. Mm-hmm. And when I would look up there, even as a little girl, I would think, well, where is God? Mm-hmm. And what does he look like? And I would picture him at a, you know, kind of an executive desk, huh. you know, like a nice yeah, desk yeah. With, a, with a nice chair and mm-hmm. all the accoutrements uh-huh. and that he would be up there and that he lived up above that metal. That was where his office was. Okay, now we're going to get in deeper because I know you both very well. And you just gave me good God answers. Now I want you to give me your real answers. Holly Butterfield Rawlings, God is what to you? What have you believed him to be growing up? Growing up, I perceived him as someone who was disappointed Mm -hmm. in me Mm -hmm. and angry with me. Mm -hmm. Someone that I would never be able to meet. I'd I'd never be able to meet the bar. Yeah. It was interesting to hear that for you, God is love because I'd like to get there. Mm -hmm. And I feel like I'm on the journey to get there. Right. I definitely recognize his hand in my life and all the goodness that comes from that. But Uh there is a disconnect for me. And I get that. And I've definitely had that at times Mm -hmm. in my life where I've been angry at God. I feel so silly saying that in like, you know, there are people who really have struggles, but everybody's grief is everybody's grief, right? right? So God is love. And I know that's what it is, but sometimes there's that flip side of love, like the tough love mm-hmm. where it's, it's not your turn or it doesn't feel fair or feels like maybe an absent parent. Mm-hmm. Yes. And I know I'm the one creating the absenteeism. Like I'm the one that's doing that. But I have definitely had those moments where you don't feel like, well, I can't go to you in prayer. Like, mm-hmm. I'm not worthy enough. Or are you really even listening anyway? Does it matter? And I think so, that's why I do picture him as an executive. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's very a little, fascinating. There's a little distance. Well, this is what I know about you two. And the reason why I was so happy to have you with me to discuss this is because, and it gets me emotional, because Nephi wants us to know who God is. Mm-hmm. And one of the things, and I believe this, and that it's also in a really great Christian documentary called The Heart of Man. There is this idea or belief that our Heavenly Father and who we believe in actually has a lot to do with who our dads are. And I think that's important for us to kind of acknowledge. It isn't for everyone, but I think it is for a lot of people. And in this movie, The Heart of Man, a man by the name of William Paul Young, he's a great Christian philosopher. This is what he says about our relationship with God. So I want you to think about this in context of how you just described him. For some of us, our first experience of God is going to happen in any kind of masculine sense through our relationship with our dads or some male figure. If that's violated or the person has no real clue of who they are, we still adapt to the presentation of God through that person. And then he goes on to explain how his dad didn't have the hit for being a dad, and he was kind of abusive, and he was always angry. Mm -hmm. And then he says, it took all of 50 years to erase the face of my father off the face of God. I taught this. I was teaching a bunch of young boys in the detention center, 30 young boys. And when I got to the detention center, I asked them what they were there for. And the woman in charge said, oh, they're the worst of the worst. And I was like, what does that mean? Like, all right. And she said, they are all here for sexual abuse or murder. 
And I thought, what am I going to say to these teenage boys? Yeah. And just as clear as day, this inspiration came and said, you're going to teach them about me. So I started by saying, just by the raise of hands in this room, how many of you know who your dad is? And two boys raised their hands. Wow. And then I said, the next question was, now raise your hand if you believe in God. And who do you think raised their hand? The same two boys. Same two boys. And one of those boys, I played this video clip for them in the prison. And after it got done and he said, this young boy heard him say, it took all of 50 years to erase the face of my father off the face of God. This young boy goes, and he's like 16. He's like, whoa. And I said, (laughs) why did you say that? And he's like, I mean, that 50 years, I don't want to wait that long. He's like, I want to believe. And it was just such a beautiful moment for me because when I finished that sentence, God is, I think God loves me more than anyone in the world. Like my dad thinks I'm the greatest human being that's ever lived. Yeah. And I believe that about God. I think I'm his favorite. I don't think he likes anyone more than me. I also think that God will be like, yeah, but we can't do it unless we can afford it. (laughs) (laughs) I believe God will give me anything I ask for. As uh, long as you can afford it. It has to look over last quarter's finances, but. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah. totally. Okay, so go to 1 Nephi chapter 1, verse 14. And before we study this verse, here's what I'm going to ask you to do. Take whatever negative ideas or beliefs that you currently have about God, and I'm going to ask you to put them aside while we study in verse 14 who God really is and how He deals with His children, because this changed everything for me. This is the crux of the Godhead, and here's what we need to know. In the vision that Lehi has, he's carried away in a vision is what verse 8 says, and then verse 14 teaches us Number one, doctrinal truth, the Godhead, and who Heavenly Father is. Here's what we know. In verse 14, it says, And it came to pass that when my father had read and seen many great and marvelous things, he did exclaim many things unto the Lord, such as, Great and marvelous are thy works, O Lord God Almighty. Thy throne is high in the heavens, and thy power and goodness and mercy are over all the inhabitants of the earth. And because thou art merciful, thou wilt not suffer all who come unto thee that they shall perish. He's great, he's marvelous, he's almighty, he's powerful, he's good, and he's merciful. One of my favorite books is Lectures on Faith. I love (laughs) that it teaches us the characteristics and attributes of God. And when you learn that, you suddenly come to understand that he is our heavenly father. And when you think about now God is, and no matter what you've believed, I think it's interesting, you feel like he is absentee. He's not there. And mm-hmm. Jalen, your dad died. Uh-huh. When I was a senior in high school. And he was a truck driver before that, so he wasn't home a lot. Um, and I think you and I have had that exact conversation of how yeah. your father is the way you really, you really understand mm-hmm. who God is. And it's not that my dad wasn't caring and didn't right. love me and all of that, but wasn't very emotive mm-hmm. or very, you know, we weren't a huggy family and all that. And like, when you tell me your story that I know I'm God's favorite, I believe you are. Yeah. Like, Absolutely. I was thinking the exact same thing. I thought, well, well because she is. She yeah. is. She like, is You God's are favorite. God's favorite. I totally believe that. But what you're saying is like, so am I and so mm-hmm. is Holly. But for us to get there, yeah. it's way different. Yeah. And I totally believe this for other people. <laughs> yeah. But I, but I yeah. believe I'm going to be before the pleasing bar of the great Jehovah. And yep. They might say to me, you know, we had to make some tough calls in yeah. the last fiscal year. And yeah. Holly, uh, you didn't make it. You didn't make it. But we we must know God. We have to know who He is before we can even move on in our study of the Book of Mormon. Because when we realize that He is love, that He is just, that He is no respecter of persons, as Lectures on Faith teaches, and that right here, Lehi is trying to help us understand, here's who He is, because if you know who He is— then the rest of the Book of Mormon will make sense Mm -hmm. and how Heavenly Father works with His children. Just one more thing. Yeah. I had never noticed this in verse 14, but I can picture Lehi in my mind's eye, you know, saying, and he's this and he's this and he's he's good and he's merciful and he's, you know, he loves you. And I I feel this like urgency Mm -hmm. from him that Mm -hmm. we grasp a hold of that. Yeah. And I feel the spirit when I read that, you know, of, of Lehi's intent there that he's not going to turn you away. Right. Right. He can afford us. Yeah. Mm. Holly, I really like that you just said that he can afford us. I think that's an important thing for everyone to recognize. He can afford everyone, that no one's exempt from his tender mercies. That's what we're going to talk about when we come back.
I have a question, and we have an English lit teacher with us today, Holly. Well, really, composition, but I have read a couple of books. <laughs> this is a perfect question for you, Holly, because I don't really know the answer. Um, what's a thesis statement, and why is it necessary? It's funny you should ask that, Tammy. Uh, <laughs> just uh, last Thursday, I was talking to my English 2010 students. All writing begins with a good question. Mm-hmm. And the thesis statement of any given essay is your answer to that question. And it gives focus to your to your whole paper. Wow. All right. So, Wish I would have got that answer that easily. Seriously, could someone have told took, me that before ninth grade? Exactly. Because they're hard to come by. We like to keep that under wraps. Don't <laughs> yeah. share that with your English uh, is a trick of English teachers, isn't it? Right, yeah. All right. So that's you know what's kind of cool about that is there's a thesis statement to the Book of Mormon. How about that? Who knew? Let's go find it and mark it. The thesis statement to the Book of Mormon is in 1 Nephi chapter 1, verse 20. And Holly, as our English teacher, read it and see if you can pick out the thesis statement in this verse. Let's see how good you are. All right. Here we go. And when the Jews heard these things, they were angry with him. Yea, even as with the prophets of old, whom they had cast out and stoned and slain. And they also sought his life, that they might take it away. But behold, I, Nephi, will show unto you that the tender mercies of the Lord are over all those whom he hath chosen, because of their faith, to make them mighty, even unto the power of deliverance. What is it? Oh, it's that last sentence. But behold, I, Nephi, will show that that the tender mercies of the Lord are over. Mm -hmm. I never noticed that before. All those whom he hath chosen dependent on our faith, and that power will make us mighty unto deliverance. Okay, let's pretend you're grading this paper right here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and you just read that. What is it telling you about the rest of the paper? What's it going to be about? Well, I would have told Nephi, you really want to avoid using a conjunction to start your sentence. <laughs> <laughs> but but I'll, I'll allow for it as a style choice. However, <laughs> it, for the record, though, in Hebrew, totally normal. Oh, really? Yes. In Hebrew, you begin sentences with ands and but. It joins them together. It's called a vav. So this is actually a coordinating conjunction. Yeah. When Joseph Smith is reading this and it's being written down, they would have known that wasn't right, maybe. Like, you probably would have found that. You can't start a sentence with a but. But in Hebrew? In Hebrew, you can. Fascinating. Yep. Also wish I would have known that in the ninth grade when I got knocked down for that. It's Hebrew. (laughs) We We keep it under wraps. So we can use our red yeah, pens. Yeah, hide the ball. I get it. Okay, so what was your question again? How would I rank that? You yeah, know, what, like what's what? So what's this book going to be about? If that's the thesis statement, well, what are you taking? It's from pretty that? powerful that God is on our side and that we'll be saved. Mm-hmm. So that's the answer. But what was the question? How how do we make it through this world? How do we make it through this life? It's kind of those standard. Where did I mm-hmm. come from? Where mm-hmm. am I going? Yes. Yeah. And then the answer is, you know what? You're chosen. And, and the he's tender gonna, mercies yeah, are going to make you, you through yeah, it. He loves you so yeah. much. Yeah, those tender loves mercies. Loves you. You're his favorite. More than one mercy, right? Mm-hmm. Mercies. So what's really interesting to me about this is that we can look for this pattern in every chapter that we read in the Book of Mormon. We mm-hmm. can look for types of this where he shows us mercy, where we're delivered, where mm-hmm. we exercise faith and we're made mighty and delivered. When I love just those three words, mercy, mighty, deliverance. Yeah. Just those three, you see them the whole way through. You really do. Yeah, mercy, mighty, and deliverance. Yeah. And a good paper Mm -hmm. will continue to back up the thesis statement throughout the the entire thing. And then the conclusion will point you forward. Yeah. And boy, does it. Right? Definitely. So this is a good quote. I like this. It's by Elder Bednar, and he's the one that introduced us to— Tender Mercies. Tender Mercies. So we we have to read this. And I'm going to read it. Through personal study, observation, pondering, and prayer, I believe I have come to better understand that the Lord's tender mercies are the very personal and individualized blessings, strength, protection, assurances— guidance, loving kindnesses, consolation, support, and spiritual gifts, which we receive from and because of and through the Lord Jesus Christ. Truly the Lord suits His mercies according to the conditions of the children of men. How great is that? That's really great. So tell me then, what's a tender mercy? Can you think of one you've had in your life? Oh, so many. Yeah, you know, um, I, I needed— on my mission to have 
a male role model mm-hmm. who I was his favorite. Yeah. Who loved me. Mm-hmm. And I knew. And I realized later, years later, that every missionary in my mission felt like they were our presidents, our, you know, he and his wife, that every single one of us would have said, well, actually, I'm his favorite and I'm her favorite. And you often, and that was a mercy for me. Yeah. I, and I think you don't even notice the tender mercy when you're in it. That's what's so no. beautiful about it. It's yeah. when you've come through right. that you look back and go, that was a tender mercy. One of the key elements to being able to recognize these tender mercies and have them in our lives has to do with a lot with our hearts. We're going to talk about having a soft heart and what that means to receiving tender mercies and letting the Lord have a role in our lives in the next section. We're going to go into First Nephi chapter 2. Okay, you guys know this story. I mean, come on. Lehi has a dream. The Lord tells him that he needs to take his family and depart into the wilderness, right? And this is crazy because they don't want to leave their land of inheritance or any of that stuff. This is one of my favorite chapters in that I would always say to my seminary students, what's your favorite scripture? Everyone turn to their favorite scripture. And as you can imagine, teenagers are always going to turn to the two shortest scriptures. In the New Testament, it is? Jesus wept. Very good. And then in the Book of Mormon, it's verse 15. My father, and my father dwelt, dwelt in the tent. tent. Yes, and I would that. always roll my eyes. And one time a football player said that, and I rolled them my eyes. I'm like, yeah, you and all the other guys in the room. And he goes, no, it really is my favorite verse. And I said, okay, tell me why, if you can back it up. And he said, well, my dad always taught me that I can't believe they would waste time to put on these plates. And my father dwelt in a tent. But it's because he left everything, yeah. and now he's living in a tent. Like, for me, I was like, you never <laughs> thought of that before. <laughs> I love camping. So I was like, so I'm living in a tent. It was powerful because you, we need some context for how crazy this is. So I just want you to see, picture in your mind, I mean, they're leaving their land of inheritance. And why that is so significant is because during biblical time, land of inheritance is everything. It's your land you get to inherit. It's land you get to sell. It's land you get to pass down to all of your children. It's everything you own. And there's some kind of cool rules about this. I kind of like this. It says, if a family sold your land for a lower price due to economic hardship and the need to sell quickly, family members were generally allowed to redeem or repurchase the land at that low price again Mm -hmm. later on. So it had significant value. And Lehi's leaving everything. The scriptures say his line of inheritance, that's in verse 11, his gold, his silver, and his precious things. Uh Okay, leaving everything. I want you to think in your mind, because if your parents came to you and said, all right, let's go. We're leaving everything and we're living in a tent. What are you thinking? Forget it. Yeah. I'm choosing a new family. Yeah, right. Please. Probably even. Yeah. I, yeah. I, I mean, if I were born, like. Are you a camper? I, yeah. Glamping, maybe. Right. Yeah. I'm more of a glamper. Like, I probably would have never made it across the plains. I love a s'more. <laughs> I know, but I'd be back yeah. in England, like pioneer. Oh, 100. No. I would have. Yeah. I would have been. The I won't they even go to. on a modern day trek. No, so if you said leave no, my house now. But no. it's not the family that kills me because like mom and dad, yeah, they're going to drag you. Zoram. Oh, we'll get that to guy. him. Okay. Oh, we'll get yeah, to him. Get yeah, to yeah, him. yeah. Okay. I think everybody struggled. We often kind of gloss over this verse and I just think it's so important for us to recognize. Look at First Nephi chapter 2, verse 16. Wait, before you look at it, I just want you to answer this question. How do you think Nephi felt? What do we teach? I don't know. Oh, I mean, right. That he was already packed before go, he was asked. I will go. I will do. Yes. I'm the king. Okay. Yeah. This is why we need to study this because look at verse 16. Who wants to read? I'll do it. <laughs> I can never get rid of that seminary teacher line. Go yeah, ahead. you really can. Jalyn, read for us. And it came to pass that I, Nephi, being exceedingly young, nevertheless being large in stature and also having great desires to know the mysteries of God, wherefore I did cry unto the Lord. And behold, he did visit me and did soften my heart. Stop. That I, what did he do? He softened his heart. What does that tell us about it, Nephi? It implies that his heart was hard. Yeah. And we kind of gloss over that because we like to pick on Laman and Lemuel. Well, I just watched this morning. Mm-hmm. I watched First Nephi 7. Oh, you got that the on video. video, right? Right. Uh, yeah. 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 I have it on my VHS. Yeah. But <laughs> I've been hearing about the church videos, but I haven't gotten to it yet on the Book of Mormon. And mm-hmm. the whole time it, it was playing, I thought, like I joked in the beginning, I would have made a great layman or Lemuel, and I really felt for them. Yeah. I like that they're not vilified, mm-hmm. and I love what you just pointed out, because if Nephi's heart was hard, then yeah. my reaction of, I'm not going to the wilderness, mm-hmm. 
makes a lot more sense to me. Well, and there's and hope for me. It makes Nephi human. Right. Yeah. Like, which this is before the I will go and do. He's like, I don't know if I want to really go and do. Uh, which I can go and do. Which I really like that. And I've never really noticed that too, because I always like get to these first, you know, few chapters and you're like, yeah, yeah. Nephi paints himself out to be the hero. <laughs> Everybody cracks at one point. Yeah, Everybody right. cracks at one point. And Nephi never did. But that's because he cried unto the Lord from the very get-go mm-hmm. and was on board with the mission from the very start. Like, let me see if this is real. Yeah. I need to get my own answer. Because he always asked. Yeah. And we can do that. And here's what I think is interesting. He did soften my heart. Why doesn't it say, and he did change my mind? Or he did help me to see mm. differently. Why are we focused on the heart? Because it made no sense to do what Lehi was doing. Right. There wasn't any economic value in it for him mm-hmm. or political gain or anything. But, you know, the place is about to burn down, so Lehi wants to get him out. Only he knows this because yeah. he's had the vision. Yeah. It, it makes a lot more sense that it wasn't, he changed my mind, because you'd have to be, you'd have to be wholeheartedly invested in this yeah. vision to go. Yeah, absolutely. When you think about your hearts and where they are and where it has led you, I want to read this quick quote by Marvin J. Ashton in the 1988 April General Conference. Holly, will you read that? Why the heart? Because the heart is a synonym for one's entire makeup. We often use phrases about the heart to describe the total person. Thus, we describe people as being big-hearted or good-hearted or having a heart of gold. Or we speak of people with faint hearts, wise hearts, pure hearts, willing hearts, deceitful hearts, conniving hearts, courageous hearts, cold hearts, hearts of stone, or selfish hearts. The measure of our hearts is the measure of our total performance. As used by the Lord, the heart of a person describes his effort to better self or others or the conditions he confronts. A question I suggest to you is this. How do you measure up? Where is your heart? We will be measured by our hearts. Mm. Thoughts. Wow, that's his thesis statement, right? Yeah. How will we be measured? Where's my heart? Where's my heart? Yeah, we'll be measured. And that all hearts are capable of being changed. Yeah. Nephi's was. And it's interesting because as you continue to read, Laman and Emily didn't ask to have it changed. And we're going to talk about that later. But and we, can we just give some props to Sam, the hero? Because yeah, Sam right. just believes. Yeah. He has the gift of belief. And so I like how Nephi says, and then I told my brother Sam what happened. And Sam's like, great, let's go. Super yeah. duper. Yeah. <laughs> Super duper. <laughs> I'm all packed. <laughs> so when we we go in and we're going to talk about Laman and Lemuel, and that's what I want us to talk about next is a little bit about their hearts. And we're going to dig into the experience that, that teaches us about the tender mercies and soft hearts. Laman and Lemuel. I mean, when you hear those voices, what's our first reaction? I mean, they're the villains. Yeah. Big I villains. I don't know. I just see myself. Just like, yeah. <laughs> like I said, I do, I do more now, but not on the Cartoon Book of Mormon. Yeah. Well, Mer- I mean, sure. we used to drag the VCR um, TV on combo mission. on the mission. Hauled that. Oh, yeah. You know. Well, it's going to buy you about 25 minutes. That counts as a discussion. 100%. <laughs> you pop some popcorn and you got a nice hour. Oh, <laughs> Best, best appointments <laughs> ever. Did Thank you waste time on a mission? Those Maybe. nine principles. Yeah. In the yeah. And they came in Spanish. Don't think I didn't have all of them in the trunk of my car. Of course you did. At any given time. Well, here's the, let me give some context for Laman and Lemon because we did talk about this, but I didn't point this out. In 1 Nephi chapter 2, verse 5, I want you to write this in your scriptures next to that verse. So they've left Jerusalem, and now they're walking on their journey. It says, He came down by the borders near the shore of the Red Sea. And he traveled in the wilderness on the borders, which are near the Red Sea. And he did travel in the wilderness with his family, which consisted of his mother, Sariah, elder brothers who were Laman, Lemuel, and Sam. That journey is a 12 to 14 day trip one way. Okay, so that's how far they've come. And then they're three days past that journey in the next verse. So 12 to 14 days and they get settled and then we get a dream, Mm -hmm. right? Lehi has another vision and then he says, okay, you got to go back. Now go to chapter three of 1 Nephi. Look at verse 5. What do Laman and Lemuel, what words do they describe what's been asked of them? It is a hard thing. Can you relate? Yes, I can because every day in the carpool line at school, (laughs) when I feel that murderous rage, then I think this this is terrible. I can't believe I'm in this line with all these other moms and all these other people. And, ugh, you know, I mean— Everyone you just want to die. Right, right. Come on, because give me I'm your in voice. My air, yeah. Give me your Why? voice. <laughs> there is <Because> the holly. <laughs> there's the real me, ladies. Yeah, that's gents. it. Yes, but I do think that. And then 
I think, oh my goodness, you know, there's 17 days in. Mm -hmm. And dad says, I'm going to need you to hoof it back to the homeland. That's terrible. Yeah. Yeah. Were they punked? I mean, you know. No, like, I would be thinking too even before then. Like, okay, well, maybe we got to stop and rest here. Mm -hmm. And then you'd be thinking like, oh, we're 17 days in. Like, dad is serious about this. Right. Like, this is not some little like, like, we're in it. And I still don't know what's going on. It's not when my parents drove us five minutes out of town for our summer vacation in 1981. (laughs) And we ended up at the Red Barn Inn campground. (laughs) And my brother and I pretended we were from French Canada. Classic. (laughs) Because we were too embarrassed to tell the other kids at the pool at the campground. Oh, it was nice. Had a pool. Uh, that you live five minutes away. That we live five minutes away. So we said, uh, bonjour. We are from Canada. I think it's awesome. <laughs> so we go, let's go into this because we know this. There are three failed attempts, right? The first time that they go, it doesn't work out for them. The lot falls on Layman. Wait a minute. Do they go back? They after do the fir- go back. No. So they're in there and <laughs> they go. Are you kidding me? Layman, that's where we get the Nephite. I will go and do the things which the Lord hath commanded. So they're going back. These negotiation tactics are amazing. <gasps> it is. It is. Because the first, so they go back and the lot falls on Layman to go and get the plates. Okay. I didn't realize they were journeying back and forth and back and forth and back and forth mm-hmm. all the way back to base camp. I was wondering where do we see this in the nine beliefs that we talked about in the beginning? That's a great question. Let's look at those nine. Does one fall? Does one stand out to you? I mean, I think for me, it's the revelation. I was just going to say prophets and revelation. Mm -hmm. Where Nephi has to get his own answer. Right. Yeah. Yes, he has to get his own answer, but also I think there's safety in following the prophet. Mm Mm-hmm even when you can't really see, why would that be a policy? Right. And we, you know, we spent a lot of time now talking about policies and beliefs. And to me, they're, you know, they're very intertwined. Mm-hmm. And so there's sometimes where maybe they change something. And I think, oh, I really wanted to stay at church for three hours. Just kidding. <laughs> I've heard people say that, though. <laughs> yeah, I, I just have to walk by if someone's saying well, that. triplets. <laughs> miss three hours. No, no one does. Do they? They might. Maybe you do. That's okay. And so, yeah, I think to put in the physical steps, I mean, can you imagine Nephi's Fitbit? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Well, so they go back and then they have that experience. After they get the plates, they come home. And then we're going to read later that then Lehi says, okay, now you got to go back so you can get Ishmael's wives. Right. Yeah. And then they're going to come back. and Yeah. Which mm -hmm. I was going to say, like marriage and family and commandments too. Like, that's very respectful of their parents and the obedience to your dad, who's first your dad, and then is also a prophet. Mm -hmm. We'll Um, cover that next time, definitely. to believe in that. Now, this is my question. Where's the tender mercy? Why couldn't they have gotten that? Like, in my mind, I what do you mean? They probably you can't see me, home. but I'm throwing my hands up yeah. in the air. <laughs> like, why wasn't the tender mercy to all of a sudden have them fall on their doorstep before they all left? Why couldn't the tender mercy have been the Lord to say, Lehi, before you go, go get those plates, then head out with your family? I just oh. thought of this, though. I think of all the times in my life where I've needed a good stretch of time mm-hmm. to figure it out. Well, or to even strengthen your testimony about it. And I think it's tender mercy for Nephi. Mm-hmm. Like, Nephi's got to put up with these people because yeah. he's just not seeing it that way, right? Mm-hmm. Like, he's like, I don't know what's wrong with you. But he you. gets to go back and hear from his dad and from his mom who tell him, you can go and do this. Yeah. We believe in you. Yeah, right? yeah. Kind of a bit of a heavy load for him, though. You yeah, can, I got to take these two whiny yeah. brothers. <laughs> like, right. I would be wondering where the tender mercy was when Layman comes back and he gets kicked out as a robber, so he flees. Then they're really upset, and then Nephi says, well, let's go back and get all of our gold and silver and all of our riches at our house and see if that works. It doesn't. And then they finally find, well, Nephi finds Laban drunk, cuts its head off. I mean, all of these experiences to get the plates, and in my mind, if I was Nephi, I'm like, Heavenly Father, why can't this be easier? Why couldn't you just— Maybe it was for Sariah. But you know, that's what I always think about, Nephi, when yeah. you read these chapters— is we talk about prayer and the need to go ask and to do that, and it's the specificity with which he asks. He never says like, hey, could you just kind of make this drop in my lap? It's like, well, what tool do I need? Mm-hmm. Like, how do I solve right, this problem? it's not problem a potion or a spell. Exactly. It's right? like, how do I go do this? And plus, God's also using our own knowledge. And mm-hmm. so you're going to go do what you 
you yeah. know how to do, right? Well, I'm just going to ask nice. Okay, that doesn't work. I'm going to try and buy it. Mm-hmm. That doesn't work. Oh, I guess I'm... Then he really has to be talked into, you got to cut his head off. When you think about this idea, and if you're in the middle of something and you're like, where's my tender mercy? Mm-hmm. I really like this correlation between this and Zion's camp. And if you read about Zion's camp and the Doctrine and Covenants, it was sort of a failed attempt at trying to help the people. And nothing went right, at least according to what they thought they were going for. They thought they were going to fight. They didn't fight. And they were actually the laughing stock of the saints who stayed behind. The men who were like, I'm glad I didn't go. I mean, there was no point in that. Yeah. Maybe people joked and said, well, could be in Zion's camp. Yeah, exactly. Right? Because this is kind of a cool quote. And I want to read this to you because that's basically what happened. It says, a brother in Kirtland who did not go with the camp Meeting Brigham Young upon his return said to Brigham Young, well, what did you gain on this useless journey to Missouri with Joseph Smith? And Brigham Young responded, all we went for. He says, I would not exchange the experience I gained in that expedition for all the wealth in Geauga County. And I wonder if sometimes I look at my life and think during that hard time, can I answer all that I went for? Like it was hard and that tender mercy didn't come the way I thought. But hindsight is when you see the tender mercy, you're like, oh, now I get it. And when you ask Nephi, was it worth it? And he would say, I wouldn't exchange that experience for all the gold in Jerusalem. Well, it's the building of your own testimony, right? Exactly. It's like you go on a mission, mm-hmm. not necessarily to convert others to the gospel, but yeah. the tender mercy is you gain that strong testimony of the gospel 100%. as well. 100%. Now, talking about having things not go the way you think they're going to, and <laughs> if you're waiting for things to happen the way they should, I think Zoram's a beautiful example of everything working out but you didn't think it would. And so let's talk a little bit, and we're going to, in our next section, we're going to talk about Zoram. Let's talk about Zoram, because so little is known of this man, but I feel like I want to title Zoram the man of all men. This guy is pretty powerful, and his story is something I think we need to focus on. We're going to find that in 1 Nephi chapter 4, in verse 30, what we know is that he is a servant of Laban and he's in charge of the treasury. And so Nephi is able to get the plates from him because Zoram thinks that it's Laban, his master. And then Zoram follows Nephi out into the wilderness. The brothers are freaking out, thinking, here comes Laban. Nephi says, no, it's me, it's me. And then Zoram's like, what are you talking about? And this is where Zoram realizes, wait a minute, what is going on? And who did I just follow into the wilderness? Rahul. Yeah, <laughs> thank you. We're going to go back and read First Nephi chapter 4, verse 30. Holly, will you read <laughs> verses 30 and 31? And it came to pass that when the servant of Laban beheld my brethren, he began to tremble and was about to flee before me and return to the city of Jerusalem. And now I, Nephi, being a man large in stature and also having received much strength of the Lord, therefore I did seize upon the servant of Laban and held him that he should not flee. Imagine that in your mind. Just, oh, Seems like a tackle from an offensive lineman. Like just well, and I'm I'm guessing the the keeper of the keys of the treasury of Laban was probably not a skinny man, a weakling, right? Yeah, I mean he had high security clearance. Yes, so he would have been rough, tough, and ready to rumble. Nephi's wearing all of Laban's garb. I mean, all of Laban's stuff. He's got that sword, Mm -hmm. and he might be ready to fight. He's got the goods. Yeah. So building up that context is what makes verse 32 so powerful. So here's what Nephi says to him. Jalen, read verse 32 and 33. And it came to pass that I spake with him, meaning Nephi to Zoram, mm-hmm. that if he would hearken unto my words as the Lord liveth, and as I live, even so that if he would hearken unto our words, we would spare his life. And I spake unto him even with an oath that he need not fear, that he should be a free man like unto us if he would go down into the wilderness with us. Okay, highlight in verse 32, as the Lord liveth and as I live. This is a powerful statement. It isn't just him saying, hey, listen, I promise, or I swear to you on my mother's grave, or as I would say, I swear on the Holy Ghost Bible. Right. (laughs) I always swore on that as a kid. That's an ancient oath. Yeah, as an ancient oath. Sandy. This right here, as the Lord liveth and as I live, right in the side of your scriptures, oath of all oaths. This is the most binding oath or pact that a person can make. In fact, in Hebrew, it's hai Elohim. And the word Jehovah is used, and you don't ever use the name Jehovah. So you are literally making an oath on God's name. Hugh Nibley writes about this. He's saying, not any oath will do. Like he had to have the most binding and solemn oath that should be by the life of something, even if it was even the blade of grass. If you made an oath like that, 
and you didn't keep that oath, it was the worst thing you could do. It would ruin your social status. It would ruin who you were as a man in the community. You never broke an oath, especially this one, as the Lord liveth and as I live. And so this oath is what settles Zoram down. When he hears these words, he's like, oh, wow. This Mm. is like, they will really protect me. It's often when you hear in scriptures, thou shalt not swear, thou shalt not forswear thyself. It's talking about this. About this particular oath. This particular oath. It's not talking about you can't say swear words. Right. Swear all you want, people. (laughs) And so, (laughs) just kidding. I think that's the takeaway from this this I I think that's my takeaway. I can swear. But it's it's saying you can't make false swears, false oaths. Do not even think of it. And I like how Hunibla says, even on a blade of grass, if you swear on the blade of grass, it's that binding. And so then we come down and then Zoram in verse 35 will make an equal oath to them. And so verse 35, it says, Now Zoram was the name of the servant, and he promised that he would go down into the wilderness unto our father, yea, and he also made an oath unto us that he would tarry with us from that time forth. And if you continue, 36 and 37 says a lot about him. Jalen, will you read those? Yeah. Now we were desirous that he should tarry with us for this cause, that the Jews might not know concerning our flight into the wilderness, lest they should pursue us and destroy us. And it came to pass that when Zoram had made an oath unto us, our fears did cease concerning him. What's so significant about this and why I say Zoram's the man of all men is he must have had a relationship with God for him to recognize Nephi's words that he will make an oath with him. It had to have triggered something in Zoram to go, God is good. He is merciful. He is all powerful. When you just were talking about that, I... As a child growing up in New England, that is something that people say when they're serious Mm -hmm. about telling you the truth. They Mm. say, I swear to God. Yes. Of course, I dropped that from my vernacular when I became a member because we don't say that. Right. But it's really, this, this has been great for me to think back on that because people only say that when it's serious business. Mm -hmm. But that's the original intention getter, right? So that's what kind of calms him down. But it says way more about Zoram and his belief and that the spirit had to touch him in some sort of way. Yeah. Because you could have said that to me and like, okay, I get you're promising me that and that's really serious. But like, I'm pretty big deal here in the kingdom. Mm-hmm. I and, got the keys. Yeah. And you want me to like go into the wilderness because mm-hmm. your dad had a dream? So there had to be something, you know, there's so many volumes of stuff we don't know about him, but clearly the Spirit spoke to him and and witnessed that that was all true Mm -hmm. um, for him to make the same binding oath back to them. Well, then it makes me think in context of our own lives. Mm -hmm. Has the Spirit spoken to you, and what oaths have you made? When you think about covenants, Mm -hmm. promises, oaths that you make, is there one that is spiritually binding, one specific one for you? I have— Something that happened to us in the last year, um, I had a neighbor who passed away, and my children are friends with this neighbor's children, and all three of my kids, when they got the news, they were in my house. My children held these two girls in their arms Mm -hmm. and let them cry, and for the first time as a mom, I watched my kids honor that baptismal Baptism. covenant yeah. to mourn with those that mourn. And they took that really seriously. And it was wow. it was so powerful to me to, to see them do that. It was so heartbreaking. Mm-hmm. And um, heartwarming that your your girls did it, right? Yeah, and my son. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Uh, they were 11 at the time. Oh, he's the spare. He's the, yeah. Of the pair and the spare. The pair and yeah. the spare of the triplets. Wow. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that, Holly. Mm-hmm. So this has been such a good discussion today of First Nephi chapters one through seven. We just got to introduce the Book of Mormon. Awesome. How fun is that? So tell me, tell me what your takeaway is. What did you learn? I think the biggest takeaway for me is that our heavenly parents are going to work with us. Mm -hmm. Our father in heaven, our mother in heaven, they are going to do whatever is necessary to give us the best chance of coming back. Excellent answer. And it shifts what, mm-hmm. when you asked me at the beginning, God is, mm-hmm. and now I'm thinking, wow, they're on my, my team. Right. Right. They want you to succeed. I'm on their team. Yeah. They want me to succeed. I think the biggest thing for me was chapter 1, verse 20. 
And we took away those three things of mercy, mighty, and deliverance. Mm -hmm. Like, I really want to read the whole Book of Mormon now in just like looking for those three things like that tied everything back into the thesis sentence of the Book of Mormon in Mercy, Mighty, and Deliverance and how that story repeats itself over and over in our own life, like all the time. That there is that pattern. Yeah. And to recognize it will make us feel because it it's yeah. And make us see that the nature of God in our lives, like who He really is. Yeah. My takeaway was who Heavenly Father is and how He deals with His children. I just found it fascinating that that's the very first thing that Nephi wants to teach us. I used to think First Nephi was a travel log of where they're going, where they've been, and all the things that have happened to them. But when I read it through the lens of who Heavenly Father is and how He deals with His children, it's changed the way I read the Book of Mormon. Well, Holly Jalyn, thank you so much for joining me today. This has been a spirited, fun discussion. Of course it is, because you're my dear friends. So thanks for hitting the books and digging in with us. And for those of you who are listening today, I want you to tell us, what was your big takeaway this week? Now, this is kind of cool because every Saturday on our Instagram and Facebook account, we're going to share a post asking you for your weekly takeaway. So go to the show notes at ldsliving.com slash Sunday on Monday and find the link on our social media there to follow us and get in the conversation. This is episode two and we are in it and we're studying the Come Follow Me and I know you have things to say. I want to know what you've learned and I want to know what your takeaways are. So join in the conversation because I really want to hear from you. And if you're enjoying this and it has added to your gospel study, go to DeseretBook.com, search Sunday on Monday, and leave us a rating and a review. We're always looking for ways to make it better, and we want to know what you think. God loves you, study hard, and we'll see you next week. Did you find yourself just sitting in your car laughing as you listened to that episode? We love working with Tammy so much. And as one of the producers of this new podcast, I can tell you that there is so much good coming up. There are so many good people that we are going to have in the study group. It's a rotating, changing experience every week because we have different perspectives, different groups of people in there with Tammy. And LDS Living is producing this podcast in collaboration with Bookshelf Plus from Deseret Books. So if you want more, you can get segment one every week for free at ldsliving.com slash Sunday on Monday. And then the whole episode with all six daily segments, which you can listen to one a day or you can listen to all in one fell swoop. Well, those are available with a Bookshelf Plus subscription on the Bookshelf app. And the good news is, believe me, you've heard me say this before, you can try Bookshelf Plus for free for 30 days. So you can actually get a whole month of Sunday on Monday for free. You can go to DeseretBook.com slash Sunday on Monday. That's DeseretBook.com slash Sunday on Monday to start your trial now. And you can also follow along on Instagram. Even if you don't get a subscription, just follow us on Instagram at SundayOnMonday.podcast or join the conversation in our Facebook study group at Sunday on Monday study group on Facebook. We hope you love it and that it encourages you to dig into your scriptures so that you can make more connections to the gospel in your life. Have a great week.